Welcome to the Burt Show. I know I got Burt, but help me MG and turn me back into a healthy MC. Welcome to Farms Not Farms podcast, episode 22. We're here today with a woman who is a leader in the hemp industry. Her and her mother are basically legends in the hemp textiles world. And I think that it's really important to know different ways that the cannabis plant can be applied to our everyday life. And so without further ado, I'd like to welcome Summer Star to the show. Hey, Summer, how you doing? I'm good, Brent. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you for being here and taking the time out to educate the people about what you guys are doing over at Enviro Textiles. If you'd like to just maybe give a little bit of an introduction about you and who you are, what you do, and uh, what your company is about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, many of uh, the folks out there know about us and have for many years, but more and more people coming into the scene and the industry in different levels may not know that we've been around for over three decades now. Um, of course, a big, big part of it has always been the awareness and education and lobbying and activating with different activism, um, of course, especially here in our country. Um, you know, really kind of what got us all going was over 30 years ago, uh, my mother was the first high-end hemp fashion designer, and way back then it was ahead of the, the time for hemp fashion. Um, oh, yeah. And, of course, my family being in natural fiber and textile developments for four generations before me, um, it was just kind of natural as a designer for my mother. They're so into their fabrics um, that once she started working with hemp, and at that time it was Hmong tribe hemp from the mountains of Thailand. And so the people were literally like hand spinning the yarns and hand looming the fabrics, and the fabrics would only be about 12 to 18 inches wide on these little hand looms. And so, of course, that only lended itself to very few types of designs when it came to apparel. And she was just like, somebody's got to do something about these fabrics so that I have more to use in my designing and other designers can use yeah. this. This is amazing. And so when her first hemp clothing line hit the scene back in like 89, it was Earth Goods and Earth Tribes. So there's a men's and women's line. Uh, Steve D'Angelo, actually, of Harborside, saw some article with her and had hunted her and said, I want to start a hemp company, too, and I hear there's hemp in the hills of Romania and Transylvania. Like, go find it and build me this great Ecolution clothing line. And, um, and so she was sent off to Romania, and it was literally right after the assassination at Ceausescu. So the country was in this revolution, but literally left with nothing. And the factories had been, like, disassembled, and they had been trading scrap metal for loaves of bread just to survive. So she calls Steve and is like, look, man, there might have been hemp here at one point, but this place is kind of really suffering right now and there's nothing going on. And, and he said, we'll put together the program and what it's going to take to rebuild and let's do it. And long story short, they imported equipment from Germany and standardized 
two dozen different fabrics and uh, built out this incredible Echolution line in the early 90s that hit the scene right when, like, grunge was super popular and they did these, like, hemp plaid button-up shirts and the first green jeans that literally dyed your legs green because <laughs> they didn't have the washing capabilities there. And, um, and really started introducing the world to hemp fashion. And, of course, at that time, there wasn't enough people buying hemp fashion. Um, You know, a lot of stores or buyers were asking if we could list it as a linen instead of hemp, or they would go out and market it as linen instead of hemp. Um, But at that time, too, in order to import the products to the U.S., we had to list the garments under a content saying that they were 100% cannabis sativa L. So, of course, every shipment that hit U.S. Customs got seized for, like, 18 different container loads before, you know, at that time the drug czar was uh, Barry McCaffrey. And my mother has a letter directly from Barry McCaffrey from back in the day that said, you know, she had, uh, of course, had to contact an attorney saying, look, after 18 containers being seized, I think I've proven myself here that we're not importing hashish. This is clothing. Like, come on. And um, and she got a letter back from Barry McCaffrey basically saying, I'm done with you, Miss Philippone. And, you know, obviously we've had a lot of hurdles and things that have come out of the blue in this whole movement that really feels like it was always just meant to slow us down. I mean, ultimately, they knew they couldn't stop this movement. Anybody that starts to become aware of what hemp and cannabis can offer people are captivated by it and captured by, you know, the endless capabilities and how wonderful it is. And so it was just a matter of time, of course, um, you know, when this was all happening, I was a kid and we had opened the nation's third hemp shop uh, in Glenwood Springs under the bridge. So we were in this killer tourist town with uh, the largest hot springs pool in the world. So we had people from all over the world coming through our hemp shop, you know. We had we had this hemp shop on the side from 1990 to 2000. And I was a kid, like, cutting sample swatch fabric books, you know, and running the hemp shop and learning about all the different materials sending all the first fabrics out to the first brands that started using it. And, you know, we captured some of the most incredible brands way back even in the early 90s, like Ralph Lauren and Volkswagen's been using our canvas for their pop-up Westphalias for 22 years now. Wow. Um, you know, and people people don't really know that. They're like, oh, well, when are we going to see big brands use it? And I'm like, they, they do. They just have, and they have for a long time. They just don't always market to the U.S. market because it was never ready for it. You know, it was too controversial. And so oftentimes, like, BW was marketing to the EU and Australia for 20 years before they even started marketing to the U.S. And they, yet they're making them here in California, you know. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. But, you know, we've come so far. I mean, I was, I was 10 years old sitting in the first hearings for cannabis after the prohibition and 
to think that it took 22 years later before we finally passed here in Colorado six years ago. Um, it's still just such a trip for me, you know, and then I look at it and I'm like, when we still have so far to go. (laughs) So it's so important for people like us to talk and get more information out there every day. Um, you know, there's so much opportunity that's coming right now and, and such a desperate time, not just for our nation, but for the, the globe and what's happening everywhere. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously, clothing is not always on the same scale as uh you know healing um, right though it all matters you know not it everybody really thinks does. about what the chemicals on our clothes or in our laundry detergents do to us or anything at all if that and the fact of the matter is when you research that it does a lot to us you know mm-hmm. and i know that hemp hood lamb uh works with the certified pesticide free uh hemp which from i i think is amazing and i think you know um not to bring up other companies but ultimately to bring no, up I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome well yeah shout out to them well, yeah, right? we're through a lot of our productions in the same factories i mean we've been utilizing um you know processing for decades so you know oftentimes a lot of us are all kind con- con- connected behind the scenes and you know moms developed a lot of the fabrics that they've always used over the years like their their classic hemp twill that's on the exterior of all the jackets is one of the first fabrics that my mother developed in china back in the early 90s so yeah yeah and you know it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because that's one of the biggest things that of course has been part of my life and my career in hemp is, you know, not only are we talking about growing more sound and sustainable agriculture, but the processing to create fabrics um, being like the second, third most toxic industry in the world, okay? I mean, when you look at what are the worst things that we're, we're producing in the world and are creating the mass majority of the problems and the environmental impacts, it's building materials, textiles, and plastics, you know, and then you start to transfer it down to the line and you're like, and then we're putting this on our body and wearing it on our largest organ and, you know, sucking whatever it is directly into our bodies and you know i often remind people like remember years ago when they said don't leave your your water bottle in your car on a hot day yeah because it's going to offset and then you're drinking this toxic plastic Plastic water yeah it's the same thing with what we're wearing everybody you know you think about it you go out on a hot day at, uh, under the sun and you're wearing a synthetic fabric that's offsetting it's literally offsetting right onto your body. And, you, you know, you look at different countries and some of the health problems that we deal with that aren't as prominent in other areas of the world. And you start to really kind of look into what's attributing these problems. And what we wear is a huge part of the things that we're seeing in this country. Look at prostate cancers and, and women with breast cancers. And you start to think about, you know, your undergarments are all polyester or a very little cotton poly content anymore. I mean, it's 
it's kind of scary to, you know, think about that. And it's like my mother would tell any anybody, you know, like, even on a, a good cotton pair of boxers, like, you still have that elastic around the waist. So fold that elastic band over and at least have a layer between that and your skin, if that's the least that you do, like it's going to create at least a little bit of a barrier. Um, of course, on a hot day with offsetting, it's hard to say. And, you know, we've done so much testing and laboratory studies. And when we had first started some of the toxicity level studies on different fabrics, it was mind-blowing to find out that the SOP with the labs was to put these fabrics through a test that wasn't even to body temperature, huh. okay? And so, you know, we, like, get our test back, and we're like, well, wait a minute. It's only at, you know, 87.7 degrees. Like, <laughs> what is this going to tell us? And we're going, oh, my gosh, we have to go and do this test all over again. And now that we see what the, is really going on behind the scenes and how a lot of these companies are getting their products passed through with criteria that never really met a test that would meet and identify the the actual program, you know, and so then we're going back and going, okay, let's do it at body temperature. Okay, let's raise it another five degrees, another five degrees, another five degrees, and let's see what it would be if somebody were out, you know, in Phoenix on a hot day in their, you know, fancy sportswear that's made up of who knows what, because now, of course, brands can also list contents under trademarks and not even have to tell you what it is. So know when you're in the store and you see something that you don't recognize, like Invista, okay, go and research that on your phone and pull up what is Invista fabric, and you're going to find that this is a DuPont product, you know, and is that something that you really want to wear and put on your skin? I mean, it's just unbelievable what's going on, and, you know, our country right now is in this process of this shift of not only, you know, embracing this resurgence of hemp and cannabis in our country, but also trying to get in on this green bandwagon, and, you know, we are so concerned right now because we're watching what is happening, and people in our country have no idea that most of the polyester in the stores are being made from GMO corn waste. And then it's going to a polyester process to be turned into a fabric. And, like, do you really want to put that on your skin? You know, if you don't want to eat it, you definitely don't want to wear it. And and we know that it's just as important what you put in your body as on and around your body. And people have to start really thinking about this. And the truth about... So much of this is just starting to barely skim the surface. I mean, there's articles coming out about microfibers being in our water supply yeah. and, you know, and now even being discovered in some of the, the highest reservoirs in the Rockies, and they can't even identify where it's coming from in our air that's traveled there. This is a serious problem. It just continues to be a problem. It never goes away. Yeah. So, I don't know what the half-life of polyester is. 
it's just horrible. I mean, it's, you don't want to get me started on that one, but, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, when you think about the amount of chemicals it takes to produce this stuff and then you're going, okay, where's all that waste going? And especially if it's being derived from a plant-based or bio-based material, there's an awful lot of plant cellulose and lignans and different things that are going to be coming out in that process. So you end up with this chemical sludge at the end. And this is oftentimes why they call it a closed loop process. You know, when you hear that closed loop process, you know that that means it's just going around and around in a circle and there's no way to ever dispose of it. And that is not a good thing. We want natural mechanical processing to know that we don't have all these problems. We're not going to create, you know, um, I mean, it's so bad, the effluent waters that come from these facilities and then the amount of treatment it takes to even be able to put this back in our system, or oftentimes there is no way to put it through a water treatment to put back into our water supply. So now they're left with these big vats of nasty sludge like bamboo viscose where, you know, there's even an interview online where the guy's like, oh, what is all this stuff, you know? And they're like, oh, that's all the waste, and we don't know what to do with it. So we've just been putting it in a a barn or burying it in the ground, or, you know, we're going to eventually end up with, like, a Chernobyl dome that has to be built over this stuff because there's no way to ever get rid of it. So It's crazy. It sounds beyond crazy. And uh, that saying that after just watching the Joe Rogan Area 51 with uh, Bob Lazar, I, I find that this is crazy and, and that's some alien stuff. So let, let's just say that. <clears throat> let me ask you this. Definitively, what is the difference between everything that you just said and how you guys manufacture Well, of course, you know, when it comes to developing a true natural fiber, um, there's really only one way to do it, you know. So when you talk about hemp and when we're going to have hemp fabrics in this country and what it's going to take, there are many ways to turn hemp into a fabric. There's really like four or five different processing methods. Now, out of those methods, there's only one that is a completely natural process, and that's what we've been doing all over the world. Um, It's a mechanical process, so, of course, the first step of getting to our fiber is what's called decortication. Um, And so we have some really big news to share with everybody uh, because my mother has been actually working on a new decortication machine here in Colorado for the past two years. She has designed a new decorticator that is unlike anything she has achieved in all the countries all over the world. She's been hunted too. Um, And, you know, that decortication is basically separating the stock. There's going to be, so basically when you look at the hemp stock, the fiber is only encased in the outer ribbon, like the bark that you could literally pull off the stock with your hands. That's where the fiber is. The whole inner woody core is all the herd. So, of course, we have to do a clean separation of the fiber and the herd. And then, of course, that fiber is still encased in all its plant cellulose and lignin. We've literally just stripped it off the stock. Now, this is where 
Barbara's new decorticator is so unique is that she has gotten the decortication process so tight that it is like half degumming the fiber from all that plant material and that initial decortication. So the fiber that's coming out almost looks like a clean, beautiful fiber that you could just go right to town with and start spinning. And and it very well maybe. I mean, it's um, you know thicker fibers are going to go to like ropes, twines, and cordages to start out. We don't have to degum that fiber in order to run those other mechanical machines that spin it. Um, we are actually doing some trials right now on this fiber to see if it'll work on some existing uh, U.S. facilities that, again, are all mechanical processes. So it's going through combing and carding and roving and then into spinning um, and blending, you know, is a whole nother issue. And so, you know, in China and other places all over the world, we have a different facility for each program. So it's a different factory that's going to do heavy yarns versus light thin yarns or blended yarns or woven fabrics like canvases and denims versus knits for T-shirts and sweatshirts. Um, you know, it takes a special type of factory with the right kind of equipment to do all these things. So, you know, with what we do and keeping it in that natural mechanical process, we, of course, are going to be able to get the U.S. off the ground with some amazing heavyweight fabrics and possibly some hemp and animal fiber blends here really soon. Right now, our biggest hurdle is not having enough hemp fiber, really. I mean, we we recently ran out, and we have a farmer on the other side of the state that's got maybe a 20-foot container for us, and that's the only straight industrial stock that we can find anywhere. Um, everybody's round baling their stocks, which I cannot be decorticated after that. Hmm. Um, you know, it has to be particular varieties. And so for our U.S. program, it's really interesting. Um, a lot of people would think that we are going to launch a program for a fiber, a variety of hemp, which is not the case. This whole program has been built off of a seed and grain crop. Um, so that we can bring the value to the farmers to grow these industrial varieties as well as create the ultimate dual-purpose crop out of a seed and grain variety now, which just, it's, it's unbelievable, the stuff that she's accomplished. Um, yeah. And, of course, you know, her materials, we know that obviously with the stock, you know, 80 85% of that stock is that inner woody core, the herd, and only about 15% is fiber. So we know the, the initial value is in the herd. So that's where she spent the last year focusing was on the herd for composites. She has developed seven standardized grades of herd that have been at the labs for the past 10, 11 months, going through every trial, market identification, which, of course, also gives the true values for contracts for the farmers. Um there are some amazing opportunities and different uh, materials and some of these composites that are higher values than we ever imagined. So, you know, in the testing, we found that there is much better value for the farmers than we even thought 
we were going to be able to launch with. So it's really exciting. Um, and, of course, then we've got the fiber coming into play. And, um, you know, we're going to be, be having farmers across the Midwest growing industrial hemp next year and getting some of these mass contracts filled and some of these big toxic markets like building materials and, and plastic composites are desperate for natural materials. They are desperate for it. I mean, they've been calling us for years, not because they're interested in hemp, but because they are interested in anything they can get their hands on. The world is running out of natural fiber and natural fillers, and it's as simple as planting a seed to replenish it. It's kind of crazy that, you know, it took this long to even get the attention to start getting it going. But now that it's here, um, it's happening. And, of course, with that kind of a natural process, you're also keeping the integrity of your fiber and able to keep the longest, strongest fibers. So, of course, everybody thinks of hemp fabrics and fashions and things and going, oh, it's going to last forever and it's going to hold up and it's going to perform. But that's only if the fiber is long. So, you know, when people say, why is hemp so much stronger? It's a pretty simple um, analogy when you compare it to, say, a cotton Cotton fiber is only a half an inch long to two inches long as grade A cotton fiber. Hemp fiber can be anywhere from five to 18 inches long. So, you know, when you think of all that extra length that's spinning together to make those yarns that then we weave or knit with, of course, that's where the durability is coming into play. Yeah. And, um, and hemp's a hollow fiber. So that's why it's breathable and wicking and has all these other wonderful properties. Um, and then, you know, out of the Basque fiber family, because, you know, fabrics are just like anything else. It's like a pyramid. The best is on top and it trickles down. And so your best fabrics are Basque fibers. So flax, jutes, rammies, hemp. And out of the best fiber family, um, nothing will perform like hemp fiber well when it comes to the antibacterial and antifungal properties. So, you know, you also have that coming into play. So every which way you look at it, it just is a benefit for everyone from the start to the end. And, of course, will be in your home or your wardrobe for decades to come. So did you say that basically wearing the well-made hemp clothing or fabric means that that clothing or fabric is actually antimicrobial? Yes. So therefore it will help us remain clean in this rather than be poisoned as well as if we're using hemp building materials in the house without having other unhealthy materials in those building materials, hemp house, so it's, you know, as uh, we spoke about with Tony Budden, that means that it's literally cleaning whatever passes through it since it is breathable and you actually don't necessarily get breezes in your hemp house, though it doesn't stay as hot as a regular house would and it also retains heat like a regular like, like a house could. I have a hemp jacket from Hemp Hoodlam and I, you know, I can famously wear it all seasons because even though it's yeah. huge, it doesn't make me too hot in, in, in the summer and it keeps me really warm in the winter. 
Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, people are like, how is that even possible? And you're going, because of all these wonderful attributes it carries. And it's interesting when you learn about plants and how, you know, just like these hemp plants can grow out under, you know, 120 degree weather with very little water and not be burned by the sun, you know, that these same properties are transferring all the way down to the finished fabric when it's produced naturally. Yeah. And why would we ever want to get rid of that? I mean, this is something that nature had offered us to say, hey, you can maintain all these great things if you do it right. And, and yeah, I mean, like you said, you've got one of the great winter jackets that you can wear in the summer because it's still breathable. Um, you know, we sometimes have people that will feel our classic hemp T-shirts, and they're like, oh, that's kind of heavy. And I'm like, yeah, because this is the indestructible shirt that you could run over a hundred times with a semi-truck and it's going to pop out the other end, you know, and you're going to still love it. And, um, they know the last decade, like there's been so many brands and new entrepreneurs and, and big brands that are trying to come in. It can be price point sensitive. So they want to go with a, a lower grade fiber or a lower content and incorporate some other blends to get the price down. And, and they're still going to have some really great performance. I mean, oftentimes you'll see that they're blended with organic cotton or, or uh, silk or, you know, some other great natural fiber. Um, but really, truly nothing compares to the 100% hemp's or the the majority hemp and organic cotton blends and the heavier weights. Um, it just, you just can't find anything that compares. And people will wear hemp for the first time and be like, wow, you know, I can feel the difference wearing this. I feel different. And once you've worn it for a while, you almost can't even go back to wearing other things because the second you go put that, like, you know, snazzy poly button-up shirt you loved so much at the club a few years ago and you've got your friend's wedding coming up and that's the shirt you went for <laughs> to wear and you put it on for the afternoon and you, you're like your body can't even breathe anymore yeah. it just reacts so you know it's really it's really interesting um, when people kind of do give it a chance and realize you know you don't have to buy as much apparel you know, invest in some really great pieces that you're going to have forever. Know that you're not ending up with it in your water, in your skin, you know. I mean, it's just, it's it's a different way of thinking, but it's something that we all have to start thinking about is, is everything around us. It's not just about what we wear, you know. It's not just about what we eat. It's about what we're building with, what we're going to create with, what our roads are made out of. I mean, we are surrounded by so much synthetic junk anymore. It's hard to get away from it. So anything you can do to protect yourself is going to really, really make a difference um, in the end. And I mean, we've, we've watched it. We have some hyper allergen, allergenic clients. I mean, we have a woman that is a, a bubble person. She literally lives in a bubble. Uh, her entire life, she found us like 18 years ago. I have her name and number right on my desk always, all the time, all the time. <laughs> she's she's going to be with us for the rest of her life in our lives. And, you know, when she first found us many years ago, she goes, you know, I've never been able to wear any fabric. My entire bubble is made from paper. And she goes, and whatever they've done to the paper now, I can't even have paper. 
And she goes, that's what put me on the search for, you know, real natural fibers that I could maybe incorporate. And, you know, we sent her a bunch of samples, told her to take one in at a time and, you know, sit on it or, or somehow attach it to her skin in just one spot to make sure she wouldn't have a reaction. And, um, and you know, I'll never forget the day that she called and, and, and tears said it's the first time in her life that she's able to have fabric in her life and that she had no reactions and that she was so excited to have her little sewing machine and be able to create her space now with beautiful fabrics. You know, and that really says something. You know, we, our, the average person, those of us that are out enjoying our days and, you know, not having to work, worry about these things for now, who's to say what kind of, you know, things we're going to see in the future that attributed from all of this junk. But, you know, for somebody that's so sensitive that comes in contact with something and can, can literally get sick, um, you know, really says a lot. And we should be paying more attention to that. So clothing is healing, apparently. It is. It really is. Well, it's, you know, and with the hemp, like I said, it's antibacterial. So what that means is if any bacteria or funguses, yeast um, come in contact with it, it's going to halt and kill it. So it really is protecting you. Amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable stuff. So, you know, it's like like we started out, you know, everything about these plants are just so captivating and getting people to understand what is possible and that it's it's not something that's going to be too out of reach to shift, you know, processing and start having these great materials and um, cleaning up our soils and our airs all at the same time. Um, you know, it's right around the corner. It's just a matter of everybody stepping up and supporting it and talking about it and sharing. And um, we are actually having our first two-day workshop for the hemp world here in Glenwood Springs on July 13th and 14th. Um, so we're launching my mother's uh, new processing facility because it's gone from just being a decorticator to an entire post-processing line. Um, and, I mean, the first, you know, half a dozen tickets that we sold were to uh, people from all over the world are coming into this. So we are just so excited. I mean, this is, it's the game changer for not just our country, but so many countries to be able to have this true dual-purpose crop like Jack talked about, you know, that we can make everything and all these capabilities and in a sound, sustainable way, and um, it's never actually been done on a commercial scale. I mean, most of the countries around the world have been growing and utilizing hemp for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and they've been hand-processing. Um, you know, this is a, the same type of method, um, but on a larger scale, and it's going to really shift the hemp world. So we're really, really excited. Um, there's still a little space left. Uh, we're having it at the Historic Hotel Colorado, which is directly across the street from the largest hot springs pool in the world. So anybody that comes, bring your suit. Um and, you know, this will be the first of many, but this is to kickstart a program that we 
are really excited about. And, and of course, um, there's a lot of positions that need to be filled in this supply chain. So we're really looking forward to it. And we'll put out a bunch of information afterwards for everyone. That's amazing. I'm, I'm really happy for you guys. Congratulations. Thank and, you. Uh, <clears throat> you know, first, perhaps you can offer people a way to check your company out. And, you know, maybe if they feel called to do business with you guys or just simply learn more about you guys, you know, obviously, um, I didn't bring you on the show to say, hey, let's uh, plug this and plug that. I just really want to hear from you because this part of the hemp world is is uh, fascinating. And so I, I support what you guys are doing. And with that, I'd love for you to mention, uh, you know, how to reach your guys' company. Absolutely. Um, we're pretty easy to find. You can go to our website at envirotextiles.com. We're on Instagram under envirotextiles hemp specialist. We're on Facebook. Um, our conference is actually envirohempworkshop.com. Um, so you can check that out online to register or see what it's all about. Um, there's also Facebook as well, Enviro Hemp Workshop. Um, and, you know, we're not always the best at hosting social media because it's just such a busy, crazy time. It's been hard to keep up with the boom in the marketplace. And, I mean, my mother and I have been doing this so long, and we never thought in a million years it was going to go so quickly. And, you know, it's just kind of like hold on to your seats because here we go. Um, but the importance of, you know, getting information out and it being the right information is ultimately the most, most important thing right now so that we build this country on what's really going to last and maintain values and create a sustainable future for generations to come. And that's what we're going to be talking about at the, the workshop. And, um, you know, we put out information as much as possible. You can always go on our website and sign up just for our emails. Uh, we don't put them out often. So when we do, you know, it's some kind of big news um, to watch out for. Awesome. And that's Enviro, E-N-V-I-R-O, textiles. Correct. Yes, Enviro Textiles, T-E-X-T-I-L-E-S. Hey, let me ask you a question. So EnviroTextiles.com, yeah, got that. Okay. Um, Thank you. Uh, So let me ask you a quick question. What is this that I heard about a few years ago? Maybe it's a little bit different now, though, that... There needs to be a decorticator every 100 miles because it doesn't make sense to carry hemp over 100 miles to a decorticator because it, 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 it's not, it doesn't make uh, financial sense, basically. Feasibility, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's something that comes up for all agriculture, the feasibility of transportation. Um, <clears throat> now, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that there needs to be a decorticator every 100 miles. It really depends. <laughs> Um, it really depends on the region or, you know, the amount of land that's being grown. Absolutely. Um, you know, obviously, we would love to see a lot of these big ag farmers have a decorticator on site so that they can do that separation and bring a little higher value to themselves because, of course, at that point, they can have the herd material going one direction and the fiber going another Um uh, 
or can I'll go to, you know, the next uh, facility. It's it's really a matter of yield, you know, um, sure. and that's where the fiber was a big issue is, you know, we're going, okay, we only get a 15% yield. Um, and for many, many years in all the countries we've been developing in, out of that 15%, you know, after the fiber would be standardized, um, there would only maybe be about 5 to 7% that was usable for textile-grade fiber. Um, and this is where, you know, what it's looking like with my mother's machine and the fiber that's coming out, she's getting 100% usable fiber. Yeah. And so, you know, we've gone from 7% to that full 15% now, which, of course, is huge when it comes to the logistics and the feasibility. So, um, yeah. you know, things are shifting. Things are shifting right now. Uh, you know, I would maybe say it would be more important to be currently the the realistic stat would probably be more a decorticator every thousand miles. Sure. Um, you know, and and of course it's going to depend on if they do the, the post processing line um, and can grade out the the herd materials. Um, it's it's really going to be interesting, and of course we've got a number of programs in place so that we can work with every type of farmer. So depending on you know your farm and what you're trying to do or what you're capable of doing, we can help make sure that you can come in and we'll find a way to make it work. If there's not a program already in place, um, we'll find a way. And so like you know, there's regions right now where we're already looking at going. Okay, you know we're going to need to have a mobile decorticator because we've got an awful lot of little farmers yeah. and then in a region that you know they might not be able to afford a small farm level even though they're not going to be crazy like all the ones you see out there um we don't quite know exactly what they're going to be yet we're building out the first ones here in the u.s right now mom's in the patent process there's four patentable parts in the machines it's been just such a crazy process but um and then the lack of manufacturing in this country it was almost impossible to find machinists that could build out all these parts and build these things here. It's been crazy, you know, and this is all part of what we're talking about bringing back to the U.S. So, you know, I anticipate seeing, you know, some of these areas that will have to mobile starting out um, within a couple of years probably co-oping together and getting a farm level and having a, a central facility in those regions for themselves within a couple of years. Um, you know, or a large farmer that's down the road that's going to go ahead and pull the trigger to implement a facility in his area that, you know, he can buy from all the local farmers. So, um, you know, I think that it's going to, it's going to spread really quickly. And when people see how simple a program like this can be implemented and how much return there is and how much it's going to affect so many of these massive industries that are ultimately what a lot of us, I think, are focused on is, is you know, it's not just about business. It's about creating much healthier future and, and ourselves and products that we can be proud of and, you know, leave this place better than the way, the way we found it. Um, so, you know, people are, are getting on board. Farmers are are struggling with these conventional crops that have depleted their lands. And, you know, there's going to be a little acclimation period. And within a couple of years, it's going to soar. So it's going to be really exciting next few years. But we got to hold on to our seats, man, because it's coming, you know. That's amazing. You know, every hemp farmer that I know just about, 
after one successful season, their neighborhood, you know, all their neighbors want to start doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's uh, yeah. the natural progression to seeing, hey, I don't have to take, you know, almost no money from Monsanto anymore to grow this corn and spread all these chemicals. I could literally just, you know, grow something that I'm going to make even more at and actually enjoy, you know what I mean? And that mm-hmm. might be good for my land, help remediate some of these chemicals that I've been putting down on the ground. And, uh, yeah. you know, not everybody had a, had had the ability to care about that for a long time. And that's where, you know, again, I say I'm not against the capitalistic society, though I see where people, you know, companies or these people going after money and compromising values and, you know, compromising our safety in order to yeah. do that, in order to get that money, in order to present Absolutely. a product in a professional uh, way. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy to think that they they even thought that was a good idea with the liability that's come back on so many of these, you know, collaborants that definitely don't seem to care. And it's like, wow, they must be really, you know, bringing in a, a wonderful return to not have a problem paying out so many suits and liabilities all the time. But, you know, ultimately, you know, we're to a point where, you know, Bureau of Land Management and, you know, environmental standards are coming in to say we can no longer take any more waste. We have nowhere to put it. We don't know what to do with this sludge. We don't know what to do with that. We're not going to take your trash anymore, China said to the U.S. I mean, you know, I don't know that people even realize, like, if you're paying for recycling right now, you shouldn't be because guess what? It's not going anywhere. The country that was buying it all isn't buying it anymore. They don't want it. They don't want to turn it into fabrics. They don't want to keep feeding the problem. And, you know, it's it's literally piling up at, at, bar, at, at big ports right now. And, and they stopped taking it. They're like, this isn't moving anywhere. We can't take any more containers of plastic. So, you know, this is a huge problem. And... You know, and then we've got the issue of, um, you know, regionalizing our cannabis industry here that nobody's really talked about that it's going to be a big deal for us in our program is, you know, we want to make sure everybody's respecting the cousin plants and the foundation that was built in these states, especially states that have gone fully cannabis friendly. You know, there are cross-pollination issues. There are going to be you know, some major issues that come up if people don't act now and understand where they best fit in and and what that region is known for. Or, or, you know, with the hemp, it's going to be a little bit easier because as these processing facilities get built, of course, that region is going to be identified to be feeding that facility, you know. Um, But it's really scary to think that, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot that we all face and that we have to get through and let's honor each other and respect each other as much as possible because we're all in it together and you don't build industry and, you know, huge market commodities alone. You don't. I mean, it takes entire supply chains and marketplaces to build something that's going to be here to last forever. This is not, um, you know, a, a, a fad that's coming in and out. This is a trend that's here to stay, and we want to see the trend 
get put in a way that we're trending our waters in the best way possible and, and everybody's happy and it's growing and maintaining for a very long time. So, um, you know, maybe we can have another talk one of these days about that and get more people aware of, you know, some of the major things that are going to come up. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I think this has been a very informative talk and uh and you know I um I'm really grateful once again for you taking the time to come on the show and just reflect where you're at and uh open up a window into Enviro Textiles and you know the past, present and future and um also offering a platform for others who want to get into this industry or want to start growing hemp or want to learn more to, you know, perhaps consider going to your website or contacting you guys or checking out your workshop or, you know, whatever it is. And I think that any one of us who create a platform for others to learn and grow, what a contribution. So thank you. I've had no, ear, an ear-to-ear smile most of this conversation. Obviously, I've had a, a frown <laughs> on some you. of it because it's really hard to hear a lot of the things. And, you know, a few episodes ago, I had uh, Graham on the show, and he was speaking about building materials and how he would love to have natural building materials and to work with hemp in different ways. And he just started a hemp farm, and he's been a uh, construction boss for a, a long time doing real estate and flipping houses and all that. But he said even if he had hemp material right now, Denver wouldn't approve to use it. So there right. are um, things that we need to do as leaders of ourselves, of our own agendas, our own passions, to step up, to go down to the court, to the Capitol, and to speak up and, and to say, "Hey, this is what I need, and I need yeah. it now. We have this ability to do it, and you're, you know, I'm your constituent, and it's your job to represent my interests. And when we yeah. do that on a on a massive scale, then we benefit because this is." Jeopardy, you know, it truly is. We have so many toxic materials going into the ground, so many toxic materials going to our body, so many toxic materials going into the drinking water that we're drinking, so many toxic materials coming into the food that we're going to eat, into, you know, feeding the cows or whatever from the grains that are grown. The whole entire intrinsic process has been poisoned through our own abilities and inabilities. And with that, we have a responsibility, the ability to respond with what we are called to do. And so many of us are disconnected and whether or not that's through our diet, you know, when I'm eating sugar, I don't care what else is going on. I'm kind of just like in that and I, then I want more sugar and I'm easily triggered. And when I'm, when I'm eating fried foods, all these other things, I just, I care just a little bit less. And so when, when, when I'm eating better and I'm drinking great water and I'm feeling great, I'm more connected with myself. I'm more connected with the things that are great for me. I'm more connected with my surroundings in a great way and I care more. So at that point, I have the ability to care more because when I didn't care more, I was like, care? Like, what? And so many of us are like that. They're like, you mean I have to think about everything? And it feels like stress, but that's, we tell ourselves that. We have the ability to transmutate everything that comes through us, and we could think of it in a great way, or we could think of it in a stressful way. Either way, yeah. it's something that's affecting us, whether or not we want to choose to think about it. And so we're going to pay for yeah. it in our healthcare bill. We're going to pay for it, and obviously there's inevitable things that are going to happen anyway. So you know, at that point, some people say, oh, I'm going to die anyway. Well, then don't leave your house and don't leave, you know get out of bed. But I love yeah, living Yeah, don't life. have a life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? No, it's, 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 it's so true, and I mean, 
and I often remind people, you know, you could decide to just do one thing a day or a week or a month, and it makes such a huge impact, you know, so if you're just starting out, don't feel the pressure, you know, do those little things that make you feel good. Know that you really are making a difference. Every last little fraction of a thing is making a difference and know that you've just played a part of it. And, you know, once you realize that and you feel good about it, you know, not just your body and how you feel personally, but, you know, it's like, in your your mind knowing that you're playing a part of a much bigger plan here you know it kind of triggers you to do more and more and so before you know it you are doing something every day or 10 somethings a day or you know you just start naturally paying more attention and it doesn't take any extra thought or effort and you really do feel the difference and you've played this major part in creating you know, the change on a bigger scale as well. And we're to that point where people need to come out and stand up or, you know, show up, like you said, and, you know, we can make these things change. And, you know, we're we're right on the cusp. I mean, and my mother, you know, gets really upset sometimes about, you know, this has been malicious interference to conduct sustainable, you know, economy for so long that, you know, that the shift's finally here, and we and like I said, we have to make sure the shift goes in the right direction, and we don't just let it get taken over and destroyed like our country has a habit of doing. Um, and you know, we end up being the whistleblowers on a lot of this BS, greenwashed fabric, and and it's a really difficult position because you know, in business, you don't want to be a bad mouther, but you know, that's like I said earlier, it's not just about business, and you know, we know that the information's not out there, and if we have to be the ones to go and say you know that that hemp fabric's synthetic or that stuff was made from GMO corn and you're wearing it like it's important people know because if they would have had the education they could have made the the educated purchase and a lot of times wouldn't have ever ever gone that way in the first place so um, but Brent, I am just, I thank you so much for having me. And, you know, when we met, I just totally felt your vibe from the start. And I have to tell you, your Gorilla Healer product is some of the best I've ever, ever had. Okay. I like, I couldn't even take it all myself. I had to keep it in the fridge. So as other hemp folks and cannabis folks have come through, they can try it. And everyone that's tried it has been like, wow, well, let me take a picture of this stuff. Um, and it just, it makes such a difference when you have people that really care about their product and want to put out something that really is, you know, doing it in the best way and, and, and creating what was provided to us to then end up being in us or on us. It's just, it's so much different and you feel it. And, uh, and I really appreciate you and everything you've got going on over there as well. Thank you very much. You know, it means a lot and be held in, in high regard and, um, you know, care. It, 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 it's, it's like this. Life is all about baby steps, right? And with that, every single time we apply care, every single time we offer help, we are literally, we don't know when we're doing a miracle, but these are miracles. When we need help and somebody helps us or we get help, it's a miracle. And so we have that ability to just be that and contribute 
And, you know, I, I always say when there's no love and I want love and I give love, well, then there's love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, thank you for introducing me, you and Richard Rose, shout out, for introducing <laughs> me and many of us to Miss Linda Hand out in uh, beautiful Big Island, Hawaii. We love you, Linda. And uh, yes, what a we sweet love you, soul. Linda. And, uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, you know, just it, it's great to know great people who do great things, keep up the great work, and uh, love to do another show one of these days. And uh, who knows, maybe your mother will make an appearance. <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, we'll have to get her on with you for sure. And like I said, you know, we're. We're doing our big lunch, so we'll have a lot of great stuff to share with everybody now coming up, and we'll definitely be in touch to get back on here with you and make sure everybody knows what's going on and can can get involved or, you know, pass the word and uh, be part of this evolution that's happening. That's amazing. And, hey, everybody, if you want some uh, really cool hemp t-shirts you can go to buildasoil.com and you can get the farms not farms hemp t-shirt from hemp hood lamb they are certified pesticide free they're really comfortable as well and uh they last and so go to buildasoil.com shout out to buildasoil for helping us create episode artwork and uh you know being the internet's leading organic amendment provider for healthy soil, which is what we need in order to grow plants. Somebody asked me, hey, how, what do I have to do to learn how to grow hemp? And I said, well, you should learn. I, I would learn how to really cultivate beautiful soil, nutrient-rich soil. And then what we grow in that soil is going to have the ability to do what it needs to do. And we're the same way. You know, when we eat great foods and drink great water, we have the ability to f- live a quality of life, enjoy a quality of life, ex- experience a quality of life that is something that we want we want to talk about you know and if we care somebody else is in that position to perhaps benefit from a similar quality of life or at least consideration so you know thank you for listening to the show and uh for sharing this podcast of course you can follow farms not farms on spotify subscribe on itunes or go to farmsnotfarms.org and uh yeah also if you are going to be in oregon you can check out the Shakti Speakeasy. It's a free press, free information event that's coming up with some really amazing artists like um, MCAD from Freedom Movement and Elias Clay and Little Star. So uh, check out Shakti Sound, uh, excuse me, Shakti Speakeasy and uh, the Shakti Journal on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, shout out to everybody who's living these baby steps in a great way, speaking your prayers, living them, and uh, helping make you happier and our world a better place. And with that, as we typically end the show, deep breath. And we're out.